0: good morning everybody it's a um pleasure to be able to um share god's word with you today uh before i get into it how about i pray uh father in heaven we want to uh thank you that we have your word and we want to thank you that in your word there are powerful stories like um what we have in daniel six stories that we want to a along um many times in the past, but Father, we want to pray that your word would be ever new to us, that we would, um, that you would make it fresh to us, that your Holy Spirit would be in us to help us read and understand, and um, Father, would you be a work in us to make us not just hearers of the word, but doers also, and we want to pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, one of the... um. One Of the cute things in the on household at the moment is that uh Leah has taken it upon herself to give Malachi an education, and so she's decided that she's going to read him one of her favorite uh books. It's a um, it's a fantasy book, uh, it's got magic in it. Uh, you might know of it, you might have heard of it. Uh, it's a book called Harry Potter. Now, you may or may not be aware, but Harry Potter, um, the, the premise of Harry Potter is that. Alongside our, our regular world, our human world with cars and trains and technology, there is a wizarding world that's entirely parallel and entirely hidden to our muggle world. And so Harry lives most of his life, or the beginning of his life, um, in the muggle world, living a boring, ordinary, vaguely oppressive existence, then he finds out he's a wizard. So he then enters this wizarding world where he's able to do magic and he's Finds out about all these amazing things that are hidden from the ordinary world, from the muggle world. And, you know, he can do magic and he can meet uh, magical creatures and there's all these things open to him. But the thing that happens in Harry Potter is that at the end of the school term, it's a boarding school, so at the end of the school term, he has to go back to the muggle world. And so he has to even though he's a wizard even though he's able to do magic he has to go back and there's all these rules around what wizards do in the ordinary muggle world even though they know magic they can't use magic um they can't start talking all about wizards and witches they um they can't give the game away and so harry potter lives in these two worlds he lives in the wizarding world his new wonderful amazing world and then he lives in the ordinary muggle world and even though he belongs to the wizarding world, he still has to live in the muggle world and play by the muggle world rules, which is not a phrase I thought I'd ever say in assignment, but there it is. And what happens to Harry Potter is very much like what happens in, that's very much what it's like to live as a Christian in the secular world, in the non-Christian world. Right? It's a gulf that we experience uh, between, between Sunday and Monday. And let me explain what I mean, right? As you know, the good news of Jesus, well, it changes everything, right? It brings hope. It brings peace. It brings light. The Bible talks about being, being raised from death to life. It talks about how our old lives are buried with Christ in his death and raised back to life with Jesus in his resurrection. And so we look forward today, day sometime soon, Jesus will return and take us to our eternal home and there will be no more crying or tears or pain or suffering anymore because we'll be with Jesus forever. That is the hope and the glory and the wonder of the Christian world and that's the new world that we belong to. It's the new world that we get to have a foretaste of every Sunday and so tonight you get to go to bed with uh, the word of God on your heart and a prayer on your lips and a hymn in your heart. And but, but what then happens is it's Monday morning and we have to re-enter the old world. Even though you're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, you're also a citizen of Australia, a secular, worldly country with secular laws and politicians who may or may not believe in God. And most of us will go to work for a non-Christian employer We'll go study at our non-Christian university. We'll go to school and be surrounded by non-Christian classmates and teachers. And sometimes, sometimes the world that we live in is, is apathetic towards Christianity. But sometimes it even makes them angry. And so we have this constant difficulty, right, as Christians. How do I take this glorious hope, this picture of eternity, and bring it with me into our ordinary Mondays? How do we as Christians live here in the world today? And so today we're going to look at the example of Daniel. It's not going to be the entire answer, but it's going to be part of an answer. And the Bible holds up Daniel for us as a wonderful and godly example that we can that we can follow, that we can emulate. And because Daniel, uh, he's a God fearing man who, who lives and serves in a pagan he lives and serves a pagan king, working in and under a pagan government. And so he's an example of how how to live as a person of faith in a world that just doesn't believe. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at three points. How does Daniel live? But then and how does he live when he faces opposition? And then three, back to our um, back to our sermon series, which is hope, right? How, do, how does Daniel do all this with hope? What gives Daniel hope in a non-Christian world? And so... Before I get started, uh, let me give you two words of warning. Because I think um, I want to give you Daniel's inspiration. I think the Bible does hold him up as a godly and righteous model. But it can also be really daunting and guilt inducing to be compared to somebody else. Maybe you grew up with a sibling who was always the golden child, and that can be really difficult. And so I want to reassure you, I want to reassure you to start off with that, well, God. Welcomes you and accepts you the way you are. And there is grace in the gospel, there's grace in the gospel to fall short and keep trying, to keep striving, to persevere, to keep picking ourselves off. And it's okay to be imperfect, but we keep trying and we fall short. But because none of us will reach perfection until we are in eternity with the Lord Jesus. So please don't feel guilty um, if that is your um, inclination. Second thing is that uh, we're gonna venture into difficult terrain here because we're gonna look at what the Bible says um, about politics. Now, I do have strong political beliefs, but what I'm gonna do is do my best to keep them out of the sermon, right? Because what I think we all need to hear is what, uh, what does God have to say to us about politics in the Bible? And if you are challenged, hopefully it's not uh, by my unconscious biases, but by the word of God, Speaking to you and challenging you today. One last thing Um, there'll be question time at the end, so if you think of any questions at all, jot them down and I'll do my best to answer them at the end. So let's get into God's Word. Um, How does Daniel live? Well, it will help you to have your Bibles open uh, because I'm going to refer to it now and through this sermon. Um, How is it that Daniel lives? I want to put to you that Daniel's life is characterized by three things, by excellence, by integrity, and by holiness. Right? So he, Daniel's excellent. He does his job really well. You've come to verse three. Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Right? Darius didn't appoint him and promote him because of nepotism or favoritism. Um, Darius promoted him because he was just really good at his job. Um, and he was so good that when the administrators and the satraps, they try to find grounds for charges against Daniel, that's verse 4, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. He was able to fulfill all his duties with excellence, so good that no one could find a single fault with him and so he performs his duties with excellence he works in the world with excellence but he also works in the world with integrity right there is not a single fault that can be found it says he's neither corrupt nor negligent um, and in previous chapters there was another king that was not quite so good who tried to throw lots of money at him he just refused he wouldn't do it because he didn't want to be tainted he knew about corruption he conducted himself in public office with integrity but he's not just exceedingly competent he's not just exceedingly upright daniel is also exceedingly holy all right so we learn in verse 10 his custom is to pray constantly he's praying 3 times a day on his knees praying to god and back in daniel back in daniel chapter 1 he was the one who was very concerned not to be defiled by babylonian food and his devotion his devotion to god it's so apparent uh, that it's even obvious to his boss right notice verse 16. this is the king king darius He says to daniel may your god whom you serve continually rescue you he says it again verse 20. verse 20 the king says to daniel daniel servant of the living god how does he know he's a servant of the living god because Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Imagine that, right? Daniel's life, he's, he's not working in a Christian environment. He is there surrounded by people who don't believe in God, but the people all around him are able to see that he serves God continually with his life. And more than that, his excellence and integrity in the workplace they earn him the right to be able to testify about God. Right, how does Darius, how does King Darius, a pagan king, how does he know that that our God, Daniel's God, is the living God? And how does he know that our God is a God who saves and who rescues? Daniel must have told him, right? And so what we see in the Bible, what we see from Daniel is that he's a model citizen. He's a model employee. He's not just a satisfactory employee. He doesn't just do an okay job. He does a really good one. And all through the book of Daniel, we see time and time again, multiple administrations, multiple kings under Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, Darius. He constantly gets chosen because of his competency and because of his wisdom. And so if we read Daniel in the Bible, then I think he encourages us to live well and do well in the secular world, whether that's work or whether that's study or whether that's raising your children or whether that's being a really good neighbor. And when I think of Daniel's life, it embodies for me a New Testament verse. Are you familiar with Colossians, Colossians chapter three? This is what Paul writes in the New Testament. He says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ that you are serving. And this is this is Daniel, right? This is exactly what he does. In his work, in his life, he pours himself wholeheartedly into the work that he does. And he because he's serving God, and that becomes apparent to everyone around him. He epitomized what it is to work for the Lord and challenges us to do likewise now i don't know about you but for me this is already a massive challenge it's a challenge to the way i think about life and the way i think about work and what i think is important Uh, when i was a baby christian uh, when i was 18 and 19 i was only 20 when i was a few years old in my christian faith the christian culture that i was surrounded in was all about ministry and serving the church and I want to say those are really good things, right? Ministry is good and valuable. But being a young Christian, I took it too far, and I thought, oh, well, the only thing that's valuable is ministry, and I didn't really value work at all. And so my attitude to my job really early on when I got my first job was, well, I'm just here to earn money, but my real focus needs to be on helping and serving within the church. And so to be completely honest, I really wasn't a very good employee. I didn't take the time to understand everything about the job i didn't take my time to learn my craft and get better at my job which you need to do is when you start work and you're a rookie at the at the job i didn't i was so busy thinking about whatever i was responsible for a church that i didn't take time to become good friends with my co-workers i didn't know how to love them i didn't um enter into their world and as it might be a weird thing i just thought you know trying to angle for a promotion and try to All that sort of stuff was a waste of time i just coasted along for the paycheck and thought about sunday but daniel encourages me not to not just think about sunday but monday as well right he encourages me to be well excellent at my job to act with complete integrity and honesty and be trustworthy and when i do that right all these christian things seep into my job when holiness and godliness and kindness and gentleness and patience when all those christian values enter your job then um then that is not just that's not just doing your job well that's serving god well and serving god well in the job that you do and promotions these days i think actually promotions are a really good idea right um, with seniority and influence in a job comes a greater chance to be able to shape the culture of the, of the workplace that you're in you can create cultures that are inclusive and warm and where people look out for each other and people care for each other and if you get to have uh, direct reports like I, I basically think of myself as a pastor to my co-workers and to my direct direct reports and I get to shepherd their careers but also their lives as well because they see you as somebody that's trustworthy and they can tell their problems to and you can talk to them about their life and what's going on with their parents and their mom has got cancer and yeah, all well, the things that are going on. You get to actually enter into their lives and be able to love and care for people. And so, it's um, yeah. Daniel encourages us, right, to not just take Sunday seriously, but also take Monday seriously. Encourages us to live well in the secular world, whether that's working at your work or working at studying or working in the home. Work well. Now. There's another aspect of Daniel's life that I want to draw our attention to. Living as a Christian in the world, well, it's not always smooth sailing. We often draw opposition from the non-Christian world, and it might be direct persecution for being a Christian, especially as it happens in other countries. It might be jealousy from our colleagues. It might be discrimination on the basis of gender or race. It might be personality clashes that are a lack of grace in the workplace. How should we act in such circumstances? Well, this is once again, exactly what Daniel encounters, right? That is how Daniel very famously finds himself in a lion's den. His colleagues want to get rid of him. So they make the King pass a law that's makes it illegal to pray to anyone other than the King. And right. So no God fearing Christian could actually do this. You can't pray to the King because that is a direct violation of the first commandment, right? Only, only God is God. And he prayed to God. And so what happens to Daniel's life when he starts to be persecuted for your beliefs? Imagine for a second, what would you do if somebody made it a law that was illegal for you to be you and to to be a Christian? This is what Daniel does. And I just, it blows me away. Verse 10, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, what did he do? He went home to his upstairs room where the windows open towards Jerusalem. And three times a day, he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Right? What does he do? He prays. He gets down on his knees and he prays. And I don't know if you thought about what you would do, but I think it's really interesting to see what Daniel doesn't do. There are so many things that Daniel does not do that would be my first, second, third, and fourth instinct in a situation like this. Right? So Daniel doesn't get angry. He doesn't get outraged about it he doesn't decide to fight the power he doesn't start a rebellion or lead an uprising or lead a march to the middle of the city he doesn't get self-righteous about it he doesn't appeal against the discriminatory law he doesn't complain about on social media appealing to human rights or rights to freedom he doesn't respond to the king with a sort of righteous indignation right there's no middle finger there's no hey look i was a trusted Minister in your government, and you're going to throw me to the lions. He doesn't. He doesn't get up on his high horse. At the same time, Daniel doesn't let it scare him, right? He doesn't. He doesn't get scared. He doesn't go into hiding. He doesn't run from Babylon to Jerusalem, just get out of there. But nor, out of self-preservation, does he meekly go along with what is asked of him and just not pray. Instead, Daniel shows us that there's a very careful path that we need to drive between meek compliance and willful defiance, and he does neither. Instead, what he does is he gives very intentional submission. He very intentionally submits to the king's authority. And when he rebels, he's not rebelling because he's rebellious. He's rebelling because he's still submitting. He's just submitting to a different authority, to God's authority. And there are other examples of civil disobedience in the Bible, right? And once again, they come down to the same thing of people submitting to um, God's authority over the world's authority, right? So Peter and John preach in the temple courts, even though the, um, the high priest tells them not to do it. Paul and Silas preach and are thrown into jail for their troubles. And by and large, all these examples, they're examples of Christians submitting to God's will first. And so we need to be quite intentional about the way that we act as Christians in the world, right? So when we when we obey the authorities, um, we don't just uh, do it because we've always done it. That's, you know, we're good people and we're um, good citizens. No, we do so intentionally and submissively. Um, we do that because that's what God has called us to do. He's called us to be good citizens and to obey the authorities that God has put there. And, We need to cultivate this idea of, well, um, we pray it all the time, right? Your kingdom come, we pray to God, your will be done on earth as in heaven. We're not looking for our will to be done here, but we're looking for God's will to be done here on earth. And so we cultivate this attitude of submission to the authorities that God has put there, and then to God Himself, who has put all authorities everywhere and who is in control of all the authorities. So you see, right, yeah. how is Daniel able to live with hope in this non-Christian world? How is he able to entrust himself to a worldly government? I want to put it to you that the thing that, um, the reason he's able to keep acting with hope, he's able to keep his courage under fire, the reason he's able to keep his composure and his faith when times are really, really difficult, is because he knows two things. He has two reasons. There are two theological truths that daniel knows about our god the first is this these are god's words uh, to king nebuchadnezzar and again to king belshazzar this is what is in daniel 5 and daniel 4. the most high god is sovereign over all kings on earth and sets over them anyone he wishes right the Most High God is sovereign over all the earth, all, sorry, all kingdoms on earth, and sets over them anyone He wishes. It's the same idea that we see in Romans thirteen: everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God, and therefore, Romans thirteen verse four. Whoops. catching up Um, Romans 13 verse 4 for he is God's servant to do you good right so he the king or the government or the Prime Minister or whoever the authority is God's servant to do you good so here is Daniel and Daniel understands how authority works Daniel is a citizen under a government and that government is under a king But the king is not the final authority. The king is under the authority of God, no matter if he realizes it or not. So ultimately, God is in control of all kings, all nations, all powers, whether they know it or not, whether they believe in him or not, whether they submit to him or not, God is in control. And that is why we call our God the king of kings and lord of lords. He is in control. So, more than anything, whether it's good or bad what is the best thing that you can do for the country that you live in or the best thing you can do is go back to your room and pray pray three times a day pray to the god who one is in control and two listens to prayer give thanks to the lord because well it's him who's in control and more than that because daniel knows that god is in control and because governments are there to do good in the world, Daniel is entirely comfortable working inside his secular world, in his secular workplace, in his secular government. And he wields his excellence and integrity to improve the world, right? Governments around the world are prone to bureaucracy and corruption. So how good is it to have a senior minister who with excellence and integrity who's in charge of the government? As Australians, um, we like to complain about our governments, we like to complain about our laws. Bagging politicians is a bit of a national pastime. And so as such, it can be really hard to fathom how a government, any government, um, how much better that can, having a government can be compared to complete anarchy. So let me tell you uh, a little story, a true story about anarchy. Um, I read a long and fascinating feature piece by a journalist called Anand Gopal. Called the other Afghan women, and interviewed ordinary women in Afghanistan about what life was like before, during, and after American occupation. And so here's some background: which is that approximately 30% of Afghanis, um, sorry, yeah, that's right. So 30% of Afghanis live in the cities, and then 70% they live in the countryside, in small rural villages for the most part. So for the last 20 years, the Americans have occupied and controlled the cities, and they've been safe places as far as the Americans are concerned, and they were able to secure that and control it. But the rest of the countryside was never fully occupied. And so the rest of the countryside was this moving war zone of Taliban versus American versus local warlords, and who often the warlord would play both sides. And so the countryside was so anarchic, Sides changed so often. There were landmines. There were car bombs. Uh, The Americans might come and raid your village because they suspected there were Taliban sympathisers. The Taliban might come and raid because they thought the people were collaborating with the United States. The local warlord might come down and demand extra taxes and use extreme force because they can get away with it because they're the law. There is no law. And you might be... Uh, honest good citizen minding your own business but still end up as collateral damage in somebody else's war and so i don't know if you can read that quote let me read it out for you but it says in rural areas life under the us-led coalition and its afghan allies became pure hazard even drinking tea in a sunlit field or driving to your sister's wedding was a potentially deadly gamble and the story describes well everyone everyone they interviewed knew at least one person who had died and probably the entire families who had died and so interestingly as they interviewed afghani women afghani women living in the rural countryside they said they preferred taliban rule and it wasn't a religious choice right and these women weren't blind to the fact that they had no rights they had no access to education under the taliban but even so life before when they were under the taliban they were not they weren't in constant fear of death and so even even a corrupt and evil government that does evil things to its citizens and suppresses half its citizenry even for these people even a corrupt and evil government is better than complete and utter anarchy right do you get the point like having we're in a unique situation where there's so many there are lots and lots and lots of governments in the world and Australia is an especially safe place and the governments prevent anarchy and anarchy is just so um anarchic chaotic and bad that any government corrupt governments are better than nothing but here is daniel's other hope right corrupt and evil governments such that they are they won't last forever the second half of the book of Daniel, um, it's full of prophecy. And we don't have time to dig into all of it. Um, and But I want to dig a little bit into Daniel chapter 7. Kate read a quote from it earlier, um, 7 verse 13. And um, in Daniel 7, Daniel has a vision. And this is the reason he knows and he trusts these things. He has a vision. He sees these strange beasts and he sees a vision of Jesus on the throne. But then the vision he sees is explained. And the four beasts represent kings and kingdoms and authorities that are opposed to God, and then God explains what will happen. Let me put it on the screen. Uh, this is verse 27. Then the sovereignty, the power, and the greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. All, right? all kingdoms, all the terrible, corrupt kingdoms that oppose God, they're all be handed over to the holy people of the Most High and his kingdom god's kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all rulers will worship and obey him all rulers will worship and obey him long story short daniel understands that the regimes of evil men will not last forever there is not going to be a millennia of the third reich a day is coming when all rulers all kingdoms all people every language every nation will bow down and will worship and obey the lord most high and that means evil in all its forms will one day come to an end and so if you see evil in the world well don't fret trust in god and pray and so daniel has hope because god is in control god is in control of governments of rulers and powers and kings and authorities and their authority is only ever temporary because God is still the one who is in control. And so Daniel holds on to hope, because even when evil and tyranny and oppression and persecution comes, well, God is in control, and one day he'll bring it all to an end. So in the meantime, in the meantime, brothers and sisters, live good lives. Live excellent lives in the world that God has made. Submit to God, first and foremost, and then submit to the authorities That God has put over you and don't be afraid of taking part in the world that God has made so hold on to hope pursue holiness pursue integrity pursue excellence and it may be in the sovereignty of God that that ends up with you in a lion's den but hold on to hope because God is in control and he can rescue you from hungry lions and evil men let's pray Father in heaven, we want to thank you that you are in control. And we want to thank you that even when things are difficult, you're in control. Even when evil men seem to be in power, you're in control. Even when we look at governments and regimes and we think that there is corruption and there is greed, you're in control. We want to thank you that you will bring an end to all the evil on earth and that we can look forward to a day when we can live with you as our only king as the true king of kings and lord of lords in the meantime father we want to pray that you'll help us to be wise in the lives that we live and in the world that we live in father we want to pray that you help us to live well in this world help us to trust that you've put This Put us in this nation, under these laws, under these authorities, under these governments, and help us to work in the world for the good. Help us to pursue excellence, and to keep our integrity, and to pursue holiness. Help us to learn how to submit, even when it's hard, and submit to you most of all. And I want to pray all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen, thanks, Harun.